Amen. Amen to that. Good morning, Mill City. So good to be here with you on this Mother's Day. And if you are new with us today, let me introduce myself. I'm Ruth Lawrenson. Me and my family have been part of Mill City Church and have loved Mill City Church for over five years now, and it's a joy to be here. Now, this morning, we are continuing our series, Losing Our Religion, which I'm loving, by the way. Anyone else loving this series? Yeah, and we're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5, and the particular passage that we're looking at today is Matthew 5, 21 to 26. And it's this part of uh, the, the passage where Jesus takes us into this deep dive of kingdom relationships, you know? Some of the problems that come with kingdom relationships and the ways that he can bring about healing and reconciliation. And, and I believe that God wants to speak to us this morning. I believe that he wants to share with us how valuable our relationships with one another are to him. You know, I think, you know, for some of us, we walk in today, especially with Mother's Day, and there's tenderness, there's brokenness, there's all sorts of things swirling around our minds in terms of the relational uh, situations that we walk in with. And I believe that God wants to say to us, guys, I want you to know how valuable these relationships are to me. I want you to know how much I care when you care. I want you to know how much I grieve when you grieve. And what's more, I want you to catch how valuable they are to me so that you can see how valuable they are to you. And you know, when we know that something's valuable, when there's a price on something, we treat it differently, don't we? You know, I, I, was, I remember watching the Antiques Roadshow a couple of years ago. Any Antiques Roadshow people in the house? Yeah? It's, it's actually from Britain, just in case you didn't know that. Like, I know it's aired here, but it's actually originally from England. And anyway, I was watching the Antiques Roadshow, and there was this one episode, and it's, it's a show, in case you don't know what it is, where people come with their household items, and they come to the antique expert, and they, they have them valued. And there was this one episode where this woman came in, and she has this uh, ceramic bowl, and the antique expert is like, uh, valuing it, and she's telling, she's like telling him all the, all the while, and she's sharing how this bowl, she's been using it as her dog's feeding bowl, you know, all these years. And this guy, he's shocked, and he tells her that this bowl is worth 25,000 pounds. I assure you guys, the dog found a new feeding bowl after that, you know? When we know that something is valuable, we treat it that way. And I believe that God really wants us to catch his heart this morning, to catch and grasp how valuable our relationships with one another are. You know, there's this equity that they bring, this healing that they carry, this spiritual synergy that they have to offer. They, scripture tells us that they attract the blessing of God. They carry this kingdom currency. And also, they, they become this prophetic spectacle to the rest of the world that Jesus is truly who he says he is. You know, when we grasp the value of these kingdom relationships with one another, it's when we will truly fight for them. 
Because you know what? It's hard to fight for relationships when they hurt. It's true, isn't it? And there's, there's people here right now who've come into this gathering hurt by relationships. How many of us here have had some relationship in our life that's hurt us even in the last six months? You know, it could be a parent or a co-worker, friends. And so this passage, what it's doing, and we're going to read it just now, is showing us how to fight for these relationships in our midst. Let's take a look at this. It says this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, there's this TED Talk. Anyone like TED Talks? Come on, guys. Anyone like TED Talks? That's right. Well, there's this one TED Talk that I think might be my, my favorite of all TED Talks. And it's, uh, it's pretty famous. It's, it's from this guy, Terry Moore. It was filmed in 2005. And, and he comes on the screen and he, he brings his like, training shoe like this, although it's a little bit more dated than these nice new Nikes. Um, and he brings this, his training shoe on the table and, and he puts it there and he looks directly at the audience and he says... You know you've been tying your shoelaces the wrong way your entire life? You have. All of you. You've been tying them the wrong way. And you know you have because they keep coming undone. And then he goes on to say, he's like, and you've all experienced it, haven't you? You've kind of like, you know, you, you tie the shoe and you do the two loops, you know, the bunny ears, right? We all taught that. And then we tie it and then we, and then we go out about our day and we're walking down the street and boom, they come undone again. And he says, you know what's more? Not only do you know that they keep coming undone, but you keep tying them the wrong way. And I remember the first time I watched this and I'm thinking, what? Are you freaking kidding me? You know, of all the, the life skills that I thought I nailed, tying my shoelaces was like, you know, number one. It's like what my mother taught me. It's as solid as you can get. It's, it's what I've taught my kids to do. And what, now you're telling me I've, I've taught them the wrong way. And you see, Terry goes on to explain that there's a, a weak form and a strong form of the knots. 
And guess what, guys? We were taught the weak form of the knot. And so he says that when you tie your shoelaces, if you just make the choice to go the other direction around the loop, you tie it around the strong form of the knot and they stop coming undone. And what we find here in this passage, right at the beginning, as Jesus is saying, you have heard it was said, but I tell you, it's, it's Jesus' TED Talk. I mean, it is the TED Talk above all other TED Talks, right? But what he's doing is that he's looking directly at his audience. And he's saying, you know religion has taught you to do relationships the wrong way your entire life? You're doing it the wrong way. Religion has taught you to tie up your relationships using the weak form of the knot. And if you don't believe me, just take a look around yourself, guys. They keep coming undone. How many of us here today can relate to undone relationships? How many of us are done with undone relationships? You know, there's this ambiguous grief circulating around humanity right now on this topic of undone relationships. You know, whether it's globally as we witness the devastating war in Ukraine or the debacle of Hollywood lawsuits or what's been happening in our churches across this nation as we leave each other over politics or hearsay. Or maybe for some of us, it's the undone relationships in our families. You know, Mother's Day depicts this, doesn't it? You know, we might be here celebrating today. We've got lunch arrangements. We're going out. But we all know that even within a 10-meter radius around us, there's someone with an undone relationship with their mother or undone relationship with their kids. And guys, I believe that as a society, we're at an all-out low on this topic. People are tired. They're tired at constantly seeing the way we are broken in the way we relate to one another. I believe that people are sick of seeing this relationship graveyard and there's a longing in us as human beings to see this change. And so this passage that we're looking at right here today, I mean, it couldn't be more relevant. It couldn't be more important than it is today for us to grasp. You see, we get Jesus' wisdom and it's great. Jesus' wisdom on this topic and it takes us through this thorough examination of the problem of broken, undone relationships. And he tackles three areas of what religious religion teaches us, why that isn't working, why it isn't enough, and what he teaches us instead. And the very first one of these is this. He says, religion teaches us to disassociate ourselves from sin. But Jesus... He teaches us to associate ourselves as a sinner saved by grace. We see this in verse 21. Let's read it again. It says this. Um, you have heard that it was said that people long ago, to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, 
Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says so a brother or sister, raka, will be answerable to the cause. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And what is happening here is Jesus is, is broadening the sin playing field. You see, the crowd listening to him would have known that murder, the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments, would have had a consequence of judgment. And in fact, in their day, it was, it was death, often crucifixion. And so they're sat there as people who've been taught by religion, people who've been influenced by the Pharisees and the scribes who have taught them that as long as you haven't physically destroyed someone's life, you are guiltless. And Jesus is saying, no way. No way. That's not how this works. Sin doesn't just happen on a surface level. You see it happens in the heart. And he adds anger contempt and judgment to the list, all of which reside in the heart. And he's saying to them, and he's saying to us, actually, hey guys, if you are sat here right now feeling super pleased with yourself because you woke up this morning feeling all like shiny and holy because you're not a murderer, <laughs> you know, think again. Because if you have anger or contempt or judgment in your heart, the seed of a murderer is in you. And those things are subject to judgment, just like murderers. You see, religion, it teaches us to disassociate ourselves from sin. Religion, it, it binds us to this contemptuous idea that we're the righteous ones. It gets us to look at everyone else's sin apart from our own. Religious people, they compartmentalize, they categorize. You know, they prioritize certain sin. They put more weight on certain sinful behaviors than others, and they completely ignore others. You know, it's why we have so many religious leaders in the world right now whose platform talk doesn't match up with their lifestyle because we have a religious culture, the religious air that everyone's breathing has taught us to disassociate ourselves from sin. And this is a religious mindset. And it's a problem for us, especially in the context of relationships. It was a problem for the Jewish listeners of the day, and it's a massive problem for us today. It's a problem not only because it's not true, it's not only because it's hypocrisy, not only because it hinders the Spirit's formative work in our lives to, to deal with our sin. It's a problem because it divides, it segregates, categorizes, it cultivates this us and them mentality, devoid of empathy everywhere that relationships exist, on big levels, on small levels, in and outside the church. And it communicates accusation instead of love, separateness instead of union, and condemnation instead of this message of grace. And so Jesus says, he says, how about you just tie it the other way? Let me teach you 
the strong form of the knots. You see, religion teaches you to disassociate yourself with sin, but I teach you to associate yourself as a sinner saved by grace. Guys, this is liberating when we get this. This is freeing when we get this. If we take this leap and if we lose our religion, stop trying to justify ourselves and instead of come, come under the justification of Jesus. When we understand and we believe and we say, just like the Apostle Paul, hey, I'm a sinner saved by grace. When, when we do that and we know deep down in our hearts that that person over there who's lied or cheated, that could have been me. I could be the murderer. The moment we stop disassociating with sin and the moment we associate ourselves as a sinner saved by grace is the moment we are free. It's the moment the church becomes free. Free to receive the love of God and free to give it. Free to receive forgiveness and free to extend it. Free to reject the silos that are in place and free to enter this incredible empathy for the brokenness of humanity in our worlds. Jesus is asking this question to the listeners and to us. Do you believe you're a sinner saved by grace or are you a Pharisee? And you know, it's an important question because whichever one we associate with will determine the amount of empathy, the amount of grace and forgiveness that we have for others. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He tackles another bad habit that religious teaches, and it's this. Religion, it teaches us to ignore the roots of our sinful behavior. But Jesus teaches us to pursue the roots and pull them out. And what we find in this passage is that Jesus, he skillfully hones in on some of the deepest roots of human evil. In this case, the root of murder. Because you see, murder is actually a destructive act. It comes from somewhere. And Jesus says the root of murder, you know where it comes from? It comes from anger, contempt, and judgment. And the first root Jesus identifies is anger. Now, I don't know about you, but whether you kind of associate yourself as an angry person, you know, I know for me, I don't typically think of myself as an angry person. You know, I'm not like punching wall, holes in walls or I don't think I've got road rage or anything like that. But, you know, those are kind of uh, outward behaviors of what we think is typically angry. But if you don't do those things, it doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't got an issue with anger. You know, for example, I know that for myself, I might not have an issue with road rage, but I have something much, much worse. It's something I call road rage revenge. You see, this happens to me, you know, on occasion. I get to the right corner of the road, waiting to make a turn as I yield onto the oncoming traffic. And I pride myself, guys, as a responsible driver, you know, safe. And so here I am, you know, I'm on the right corner, and I'm safely waiting to make my turn. And there's this person in the car behind me. And my goodness me, they are like having a significant argument with someone in their car. Like they are like flapping their hands around, they're shouting. And I'm thinking, oh, I hope those guys are okay, you know. It must be really stressful to have an argument on this beautiful day like this. And 
It takes me a second, you know, a few more like views in the rear view mirror, and I realize that they're actually angry with me, you know? They're like honking their horn, losing their minds, because apparently I'm not making the turn quick enough for their schedule. And guys, all I can say is when this happens to me, it's like an icy cool breeze comes on me. <laughs> Road rage, revenge, you know? Cool as a cat, I think. Oh, you think you can see the road better than me, do you? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> oh, you think you can rush me into making a decision that might make me die, do you? <laughs> That's really nice of you. You know, and I sit there, <laughs> calculated. I'm sorry to say this, guys, but the more they freak out at me, the more I make them wait. <laughs> you picked with the wrong safe driver today, road rage person. <laughs> anger. There are many different types of anger, aren't there? There's some that are very obvious and some that are very secret. But the Greek word here that Jesus uses for anger is orgasaskai. And it's not the type of anger that just flares up, you know, when you're kind of walking around the house and you step on the kid's leg and go, ah! Even though I told them to put it away for the millionth time. The anger that Jesus is talking about is an anger that resides as the great American Marvel theologian, the Incredible Hulk, once said, Captain, my secret is I don't get angry. I'm always angry. And this is the type of anger that Jesus is referring to. It's an remaining anger. It's a nursing of a grudge. Angry thoughts about a person that are always there ready to speak, you know, right late at night when your head hits the pillow, bubbling up, swimming around, not letting go. And this is the type of anger, if left to fester, that can make its way all the way to murder. And Jesus continues exposing these roots by highlighting another. And he says, Anyone, again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And this word Raka is an Aramaic term that would have been used to communicate to someone that they are worthless. It's a term that signifies incredible contempt to another human being, treating someone as though they don't exist, as though they are not important to humanity. They are a non-person, not worth the treatment or the dignity that comes by being human. And you know, so guys, when we think of some of the great evils in the world that exist today, some of the most destructive relational dynamics on the planet, you know, the evils of racism or slavery or sex trafficking or the violence against women and children that's happening right now in Afghanistan by the Taliban. All of these things and more have their root in this world, in this word, raka, worthless. And you, say if, you see if there's a person or a nation or a demographic 
that sees and believes that a person is racker, worthless. They might not be physically murdering that person, but they are murdering that person's human worth. And finally, Jesus talks about the person who says, you fool, to another. And this wasn't a term that was just about that intellectual uh, foolishness, like you idiot, or, ah, you know, like, why aren't you thinking straight? It was actually a term that was used that questioned the moral compass of someone's character. And so what we find here is that we now don't just have anger. We don't, now just don't have contempt, you know, racker. We have judgment, you fool. And the problem is, with all of these roots, is that religion tends to ignore them. Religious culture is more concerned with the outward behavior that comes from these roots rather than getting to the roots themselves, and we suffer the consequences. Eventually, we see the destructiveness come out somewhere, and relationships keep coming undone. You see, these roots, they are like squatters in the human heart, squatters in the house of the Lord. And just in case you don't know what a squatter is, you know, a squatter, they are, they're the people who go into a house that's not theirs. They settle in, you know, make themselves at home. They often destroy all the furniture and they bring disorder, not just to the house, but the entire neighborhood. And eventually they claim their house as their own. The longer that squatters are in a house, the harder it is to evict them. And so Jesus is saying, hey guys, you're doing it the wrong way. You're spending all your energy on trying to fix behavior, but as long as the, the roots of sin are in the house, as long as these roots take residency in the heart, the more people will crash and burn, the more leaders will fall, the more likely it is that you are in danger of experiencing the devastation that can come with undone relationships. And you see, while religion is quite happy for us to ignore these roots, Jesus wants us to bravely look at them. What is causing the murder? What is causing the destructive behavior? If we're going to get healing and reconciliation, if we're going to have a chance at seeing relationships stop coming undone, we need to identify the roots of sin, our roots of sin, and pull them out. Be that type of community. And you see that Jesus, his teaching here in this passage, he doesn't just lay out the best ways of approaching these problems of sin. He shows us this strong way of approaching the solution, and it's found in worship. Let's have a look at verse 23 and 24. It says this, So if you are presenting a sacrifice in the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there to the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And what Jesus is saying is religion will teach you about the ritual of worship. But let me teach you 
about the rights of worship. And friends, this isn't the right to worship that some have touted recently. It's the rights of worship. The rights of worship, they're very different. They're the rights of passage to God and from God, and they involve sacrificial repentance and forgiveness. And so Jesus, he shares this really exaggerated story, and it's almost comedy to the listeners that are in front of him, because he's talking about this person who's at the altar, and you see these Galilean Jews, they would have known, they would have seen this kind of example in their minds. You see, to them, there was only one altar, um, and it was the altar in Jerusalem. And so once a year, they'd make this 80-mile trek to the altar with their sacrifice to worship God. And so what Jesus is saying is like, after you've taken the 80-mile trek, you know, with your sheep, and you stand there at the altar, and you think, oh, I just remembered that, you know, I have a beef with my neighbor. Uh, he's like, leave, your, leave Sean the sheep there, Okay. And then book it the 80 miles back, make up with your neighbor, and then after you've done that, come at 80 miles back to the altar, and then you can worship me. And it's an over the top example to make an over the top point. And it's this the right of passage to be an authentic worshiping community is to be a people who repent and forgive quickly. You know, if we stay with religion, we'll get the ritual of worship, right? Regardless of what's going on behind the scenes in our hearts. You know, we'll know all the right songs, the new songs, and we'll tip up to a worship gathering. You know, maybe we'll even raise our hands, even though five minutes ago we were gossiping about a friend. On the outside, you not know the difference. And you know, we can do that. We can live like that. But if we are after being an authentic, worshipping community that exudes hope and brings change to the world around us, if we are after being uh, a worshipping community that worships Jesus in spirit and in truth, you know, seeing his glory, his presence, revival. We're going to have to leave this, our sacrifice at the altar and go and reconcile with each other if we want to get a rite of passage to that. Because here's the thing, guys. In the family of God, when I'm out of peace with my brother or sister, I'm out of peace with God himself. There's this incredible union that Jesus died for that we don't get to compartmentalize. And the crazy thing is this. You know, the more we choose right of passage to God, while we fight for our relationships, while we fight for the peace in our relationships, and we repent and forgive quickly, when we enter into this true worship, where we get to see him, Jesus, in all the humility that his sacrificial love displays, the more we get exposed to and transformed by Jesus' radical, non-religious way to love, his words suddenly become our words. His ways suddenly become our ways. And we get a rite of passage from him into this world. 
This world that is so cluttered with undone relationships, this world that is full of hatred and anger, raka, that has been left to fester. And we get to be his people, this empowered army that take on the authenticity of Jesus' love to bring healing and reconciliation, peace, hope to a world, guys, that really, really needs it. It is possible to be that community. We just have to make the choice, you know, to tie it in the other direction. It's possible to be a people who associate as a sinner saved by grace. It's possible to be a people who, who do the brave work at identifying the roots of sin and pulling them out. To be people who quickly, every single time we come to worship, quickly repent and forgive. And guys, I believe if we become that spiritual community, it's a spiritual community that people are longing for. It's a spiritual community that will bring change and a community that I be, believe will see revival. I think it's so important with a message like this just to take a, a moment and think, well, what am I going to do with all of that, Ruth? What do I do with what I've just heard? And, and you know, as I'm, as I'm talking here, I'm just sensing there's some people here, that, there might be all sorts of relationships going on, swirling around your life, but you know deep down that the first relationship you need reconciliation on is your relationship with God. And you need to know that Jesus was the sacrifice left at the altar. As he died on the cross, he created a rite of passage for anyone who believes and chooses to follow him to know God, to be part of this family. And so if that's you today, I just want to encourage you to take that first step to be reconciled with God. And you can just say a, a simple prayer like this, Jesus, I give you my life. You can say it under your breath. And for others, others of us here, I believe that God wants us to dare to step into being this community that pursues reconciliation. And so I've got a next step for all of us. You know, this time next week, most of us will come back here to worship God. How about we treat this week as a rite of passage? How about we go away and think, God, is there one person in my life that needs some reconciliation right now, that needs some tender, loving care? Is there a relationship that you want me to leave my sacrifice and go and mend? And it could be that you text someone or write them a card or go for coffee, whatever is appropriate to you. But can you imagine what would happen spiritually or even just on a human level if we did that together? So the invitation is there. But let's pray. Father, thank you that you care so deeply about our relationships. You care about our relationships with you and each other. We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus, on the cross that created this rite of passage where we can live in your presence, live with the empowerment of your love, 
your grace and your forgiveness. And we pray that we will be that people. Holy Spirit, come, help us, empower us to be that people who repent and forgive quickly. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.